Tuesday morning. This is awesome. This is one of the rare occasions where I get to podcast with somebody and on a Monday, <laughs> hit my ads and intros on a Tuesday, and then release it on a Wednesday. So it feels like it's all interconnected. Never, done, I mean, I have done live shows before as a guest. I've never done live shows personally. Um, it is rather lovely just to get it all like within the same time frame for whatever that's worth. Um, this conversation is fresh in my mind. Guy Senstock is somebody who I first got to meet through Aubrey Marcus at Fit for Service. And Aubrey was just blown away by circling and what Guy had put together. So he actually, having gone through it himself and learned of it, said that we're going to have this guy at our events. Uh, not all of them, but, but we're going to feature him as one of the experts that we bring in uh, on the side here. And he, w- he was so awestruck by it that he wanted us to go through it and so he 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 paid for 16 of us to go through this and i actually from the fucking very last moment pulled out i just had too much shit going on i think the kids were sick i had to fucking take bear to jujitsu whatever the case was couldn't make it in and so i missed out on that opportunity and some months went by and we actually got to participate in the fit for service event so we had them out in sedona and I was just fucking floored. Then we had them again in Lockhart earlier this year. And again, I was floored. And then in Montana, we had Guy come out with John Verveke, and they got to go into the dialectic into Dialogos, which is also its own thing and also absolutely transformative. So today we get to break down what is circling, what is the dialectic in Dialogos, what are we creating or trying to create when we set the container for these different programs and and guys background i mean he's just a fantastic fascinating fucking human there's never been a dull conversation that i've had with him i really feel like um the the things that he's putting together and downloading whatever the fuck you want to say the things that he's coming up with the technology for communication for relationship that he has put together is truly in a league of its own and and what it speaks to is something much greater than the mundane everyday life. And it speaks to something much deeper, you know, at a depth that's much deeper than anything we can get from meta, from the video game, from the online conversation. Like there's, there's something that that it's pointing to uh, that just erupts inside. And, And I mentioned this on the podcast, but it's, it's what, when Gaffney speaks about Eros and he speaks about Shekinah and the interior being on the inside is one of the faces of Eros. And we're going to have a whole fucking series of podcasts on the 12 faces of Eros. Uh, we're going to start recording in September. So I'm very excited for that. Maybe that's why it's you know, percolating in my mind right now. But I think about these things. At the moment of orgasm, there is no question of why am I here? Am I doing good enough? I Should I be doing more? I need more followers. I need more of this. I mean, you don't think about fucking any of that shit. You don't think about how much money you make, you don't think about your car, at least I hope not. You're not thinking about your car payment or, or <laughs> what your next meal is or any of that shit because you're so on the inside, literally and figuratively, you're on the inside to a degree in which it all makes sense. I don't feel like I'm going to bust a nut when I'm do- working with Guy, thankfully, but there is something to that level of depth of being on the inside of Eros to where in the conversation, in the circling, in the dialectic, uh, in the dialogos, in those experiences, I'm so far on the inside that life makes sense. It just, I know why I'm there. I know what I'm doing. There are no questions. 
And that's remarkable because these are sober technologies. And I love, we all know, I love a good time. I love uh, party time with the right medicines and I love psychedelic experiences. But equal to that, I love any technology that gets us there on a different trajectory and a different path because it opens the door for more people, more people who maybe can't go that route and they couldn't go that route due to neurochemistry. They might not be able to go that route due to legality. They might not be able to do that route due to finances. I don't know, but, but I love the multitude of options on things that put us on the inside of the face of Eros. So love guy, you guys are going to love this podcast. Uh, help the podcast grow. Share this podcast. Word of mouth is always great. This one is one of my favorite podcasts I've done this year. I've been waiting patiently for Guy, but it, it just came at the right time. You know, it came after my third time of getting to work with him. We're in Montana and he's like, we never did that podcast swap. And I was like, we need to fucking do it yesterday. Let's go. Uh, so it was, it was awesome though, getting to finally get this other piece of the pie. I felt like I would have been reporting on half of Guy. Not that he is just the sum of, of what he's creating, but half of what he's created for sure uh, without having experienced what I did in Montana. So it was perfect timing. Share this with a friend, anybody that's into any of the shit, philosophy, relationships. If you're a fucking human being, you're going to enjoy this podcast and you're going to hopefully through the conversation, you'll begin to grasp the ineffable and say, I want some of that for myself. And I want to, I want to either try this at a fit for service event or I don't want to wait and I want to go straight to Guy and go to the Circling Institute. I, I invite you to do all of it. So check out this podcast, share it with a friend, leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show's helped you out in life. At the end of each month, we're still doing this for the whole year, for all of 2023, Organifi is going to send you my favorite product from them. It's most likely the Organifi Red. It might be the green, it might be peak power. Uh, and I'll dive into that in a second, you know, just just by leaving a five-star rating with one or two ways the show's helped you out on iTunes or Spotify. Also leave um, your Instagram or social media handle. That way my team can get a hold of you easily and get you your, your, your free goodies from Organifi. Thank you, Organifi, for that. Those are all ways that we help the show grow. And then indirectly, when you support the sponsors of the show, that makes the show fiscally possible. Every one of these sponsors I have handpicked, my team has really over the years starting to get a feel for what I'm into. I think most of you have been listening to the show for a few years. You know what I'm into, and you know that I absolutely give a fuck about the things that I'm talking about here. Organifi has been one of our longest show sponsors. I've had Drew Canole on the podcast multiple times. I've been on his podcast multiple times. Um, I've had the chance and opportunity to hang out with a lot of employees in that company at Paul Check's events and different events, and I love everything they're doing. I love the joy that they bring to the table. I love the quality of people that they're attracting in on the inside of that company to run it. And I know they're doing great things and I, and I stand firmly with these guys. They're, they're a part of the squad. And also love that they continue to innovate. Um, many of their products, I should say all of their products, taste fantastic and combine several different superfoods and adaptogens that really accomplish way more than the sum of its parts. Uh, and the one that I want to talk about today is one called Peak Power. And this was part of uh, a partnership they did with Mind Pump Media. My boys, Sal and Doug and Adam and Justin, um, old, old friends. And they've come up with a really cool, unique product that has the ability to help you with focus, performance, and hydration. Performance. Where do I want to perform? I want to perform in the gym. I want to perform on a podcast. I want to perform as I'm studying and learning, right? So there's a number of ways that this performance, you know, broadly covers that I think they're super important, but you can take it as a pre-workout. You can take it 
uh, before a big meeting. You can take it before you've got to cram and, and, and digest a lot uh, of information. All of these things matter and hydration matters and focus matters, right? So if you think of what's going to peter out when we have a long endurance uh, run or if we have a long endurance of studying, it's going to be something along the lines of my brain lost its energy. Uh, I lost the ability to focus. And that could be due to lack of hydration. It could be due to not having the right neurochemistry. And this really covers all the bases. Just make sure you're hydrated and make sure that you've got some of the gangbusters ingredients like Bacopa Monieri and Neurofactor from organic coffee uh, fruit extract. That's going to increase BDNF. BDNF also doesn't just work for, for neuroplasticity and how your brain works. It also helps with recovery. So what Drew had told me in the last part of our podcast was that peak, what they've found out now with the science on peak power is that you ha- it shortens your, your recovery time from workouts. That's incredible, especially if you're learning something new. You take this before jujitsu or MMA or Muay Thai, anything where you've got to learn new skills, you're going to retain that better and you're going to recover from the workout faster, which means you can get back in the gym and get back to practicing whatever it is that you're trying to, whatever skills you're trying to acquire. So peak power, absolutely phenomenal. Check it out at Organifi.com slash KKP. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash KKP and use code KKP at checkout for 20% off. We're also brought to you by one of my favorite new sponsors, Mana Vitality. I'm going to have Brad on the podcast, who's a jujitsu practitioner and one of the co-founders of this company. Um, so we can deep dive everything that they've sought out to put into here. But Mana is a combination of the highest quality minerals, amino fulvic and humic acids and nutrients gathered from some of the highest and lowest points on the planet to provide a comprehensive and enhanced mineral matrix. Mana combines the wisdom and practices of ancient medicine with modern science to powerfully restore people's health, balance, and vitality. Look, the deeper you dive into the health and wellness game, the more you come to understand that, that micros are f- far outweigh macros, right? And that's, that's kind of the point I don't want to say that's the point behind it, if it fits your macros. They're not paying attention to micros. They're paying attention to only macros. But you can get shredded. You can get lean and still not be healthy. I think most of us, if you've been in the game long enough, will come to understand that. And really what it boils down to is, does my body have everything it needs? And a lot of these are the, the micronutrients. And the micronutrients are quality minerals. They're amino acids. They are fulvic and humic acids. They're all the little pieces that my body takes and says, all right, fuck yeah, I have everything I need to be the very best that I can be. And what's cool about this is it's similar to the way an adaptogen would work. We don't know how the body responds when it's restored, right? For me, that might mean increasing my energy. For somebody who's really strung out, it might mean calming them. It might mean bringing peace back into their life. And that's a weird thing to say a supplement can do that, but that is the possibility of actually restoring one's own health. And I think monovitality is, is one of those unique things that covers so many bases at once. It really isn't a category of its own. These are super, super convenient. They're in little foil packs that you recycle. You just pinch the thing in half and it squirts your dose for the day into whatever, whatever you're going to drink. You could shoot it right in your mouth if you want. It's not terrible. Uh, but I think throwing it in a coffee or tea is the way to go. It tastes phenomenal in coffee and tea. It's not overpowering. And, and especially when we have something like caffeine, which is a natural diuretic, I want to make sure I'm restoring. A lot of people salt their coffee these days. Um, that's cool if you're sodium deficient, but it's also, it's, it's, it's not uniquely building all of the micronutrients up at the same time. It's leaning heavily towards the sodium, which is necessary, but not always necessary if you salt your foods like I do. And I think Mono Vitality is making sure that they cover so many bases through the micronutrient standpoint 
um, truly a fantastic product that you will feel. You'll feel in a matter of hours or you'll feel it in a matter of days as you begin to restore your body's equilibrium and the things that it needs. You're giving it all the micros that your body needs. That pays dividends. It pays dividends in your workouts. It pays dividends in your mental capacity. And it pays dividends in your mood. Like, how do I feel? What, how, what is the neurochemistry that I'm bringing forward? My body's producing. How does my microbiome operate? All of these things function better when we cover all the bases from a micro, micronutrient standpoint. Check out manavitality.com. That is M-A-N-N-A-V-I-T-A-L-I-T-Y.com. Use code, code KKP for 12% off. Again, monovitality.com and code KKP for 12% off everything in the store. We're also brought to you by my homies at curednutrition.com slash KKP. I want to talk to you today about the Cured Nutrition Sleep Bundle. We all know that a full night of sleep is essential when we're working towards optimizing our overall health. Cured Sleep Bundle, which combines their best-selling Zen and most potent CBN, is the answer to ensuring that you get a full night of sleep every night. Zen is a blend of functional mushrooms, cannabinoids, and adaptogens, while CBN is a lesser-known cannabinoid found in the hemp plant. These supplements were designed to support the two most critical stages of your body's natural sleep cycles, REM sleep and non-REM deep sleep. Cured's raw CBN oil contains 30 milligrams of CBD and 5 milligrams of CBN. Together, the CBD and CBN create a synergistic whole-body effect. When it starts to kick in, you'll notice every inch of your body soften into a deeper state of relaxation as if you're lying beneath the comfort of a weighted blanket. Once you're asleep, Zen is there to ensure that your body is successful in cycling out of non-REM, deep sleep, and into REM and back again. Some people can't fall asleep. Others can't stay asleep. And then there are those that fall asleep and stay asleep but still struggle to spend enough time in each sleep stage. No matter what is keeping you from true rest and restoration, this sleep bundle is your solution. Think of it as the one-two punch for a body and brain reset. Absolutely love these guys. I've been doing this for close to two months now. Uh, There is absolutely no grogginess. There's no melatonin. It's chronically overdosed in the market and it does make a lot of people groggy. So you get the very best from cannabis plants and you get the very best in restoration. You know, we, we, we think about a lot of big, a big selling point in the, in the cannabinoid game is that we have an endogenous production of these on our own and that we have receptors all through our body, all throughout the nervous system, not just in the brain, but all throughout our entire body for cannabinoids. And when we supplement with these from nature, from an organic source, we're actually aiding the body's ability to take this in and restore itself. And there's no doubt, I mean, this is the very best. We've had a lot of CBD companies come and go and Cured Nutrition is the top of the line. And, and like Organifi, they're combining a lot of other great ingredients with these things, with their products. So it's not just cannabinoids and things like that. You're going to get all sorts of other good stuff. The Zen has magnesium, reishi, it's got ashwagandha and passion flower. All of this stuff is, is folded in to make a concert of the most beautiful orchestrated night of sleep you've ever expected. CuredNutrition.com slash KKP. That is C-U-R-E-D-N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N.com slash KKP and use code KKP for 20% off. Last but not least, we got my homie, Mark Bell's Mind Bullet. Mindbullet.com, use code KKP for 20% off. I'm introducing Mark Bell's Mind Bullet, the ultimate Kratom supplement for enhanced focus and mental clarity. Are you looking for a natural way to boost your cognitive function and improve your mental performance? Look no further. Mind Bullet by Mark Bell is here to revolutionize the way you approach mental focus and clarity. It's packed with the power of premium Kratom extract. Mind Bullet is formulated to provide you with sustained energy, heightened focus, and enhance mental clarity without the jitters or crash associated with other stimulants. Kratom, 
a natural botanical herb native to Southeast Asia, has been used for centuries, if not thousands of years, for its natural properties that support cognitive function and provide a sense of calm and well-being. What sets Mind Bullet apart is its premium quality and unique formulation. Each capsule or extract is carefully crafted with the finest kratom sourced from trusted suppliers, ensuring the highest standards of purity and potency. Mark Bell, a renowned strength athlete and wellness expert and homie to the show and homie to me personally, has personally curated this supplement to deliver maximum benefits for mental performance and focus. Whether you need to stay sharp at work, crush your workouts, or excel in your studies, Mind Bullet is the ultimate tool to unlock your brain's full potential. Experience the cognitive enhancing benefits of Mind Bullet with heightened focus and concentration, improved mental clarity and cognitive function, enhanced mood and well-being, long-lasting energy without the crash, and a general sense of well-being. Like this is one of the things, you know, we talk about enhanced mood and well-being. That can't be overstated. You feel good on this. And and that that is there is something to that uh, that really makes it remarkable. Whether I'm using this for a distance run or for a podcast, like it's a way to just say all right, this is going to feel good right now. This feels good. And I'm going to have energy while I do that. And it's not going to deteriorate or pull me away from my mental capacity. It's going to heighten that at the same time as creating a euphoria. It's like nothing else. Check it out, mindbullet.com. That is M-I-N-D-B-U-L-L-E-T.com and use code KKP for 20% off. And without further ado, my brother, Guy Senstock. Guy Senstock, welcome to the podcast, brother. Thank you, my friend. It's good to see you. And I'm It's good to see you as I'm looking forward to diving in. We we connected, we connected uh, through through Aubrey in some of the courses and stuff like that, and just got a sense a sense of you. And I'm looking forward to getting a deeper sense of you through this. Yeah, I mean, I I remember when Aubrey first got a hold of you, and he was just blown away. And um, uh, he actually wanted to do a circling exercise with like a few of the key key homies, you know. And he had a small group out at the farm, and I got super swamped that week and couldn't make it. But I have since had the opportunity via fit for service events to to dive deep with you and and uh, you know in stages as well where we had done circling and then you know Verveki came out with you the last one and we got to dive into the Dia logos and and all the cool stuff so I, I want to dive deeply into all that stuff I I think it's 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 I don't know there I love the fact that life can deliver you know at 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 every turn something that I've never heard of before that's also world changing where it's like holy shit like this. How did I never hear about this before? This is incredible, right? So I, I appreciate that uh, about life. And then at the same time, when it happens, it's like, holy shit, no one's ever heard of this before. Like, this is, this is amazing, right? Um, talk about life growing up. What was life like for you? And what kind of shit put you into this path that you're on uh, now? I, jo- I joke. I joke that I was so excited about, like, coming into 3D that I forgot to pick your parents' part. <laughs> 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 my early ADD, right? Pre, pre-birth ADD. Um, yeah, I had, um, I grew up, I was born in Chicago uh, and stayed in Chicago till I was, lived there till I was 12. And uh, both my parents are amazing human beings. Um, everyone who meets them thinks so. And they're just super, they're super likable and, 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 and right and, unique in their, in, in their, in their own unique way. Um, and they suffered from addiction, um, big time. Uh, so all of the, all of the symptoms, right. That in the drama that ensues from that kind of, from addiction, basically I experienced with them. Um, and at the same time, uh, my, on my mom's side, 
uh, I had an amazing, I had an amazing grandfather who grew up in Germany. Um, he, he was super imaginative and creative and, uh, he had a sense of wonder about him. And I think that my grandfather and my grandmother, um, although they didn't, I don't think that they were aware completely of what, what was going on with my parents at the time. I think they had a strong intuition because my experience is that in a certain sense, my grandfather just really poured himself into me, right? From that whole time I was in Chicago till I was like 12. Um, and I think he really, really, um, uh, both implicitly and explicitly nurtured um, a sense of wonder in me. Um, I think that's just kind of native soil for me. I, I, I got a lot of that just naturally. And my grandfather had a lot of that. So there is for like, a, he just seemed of all the cousins and nephews and nieces and stuff like that. He, he, he just picked me and he just poured himself into me. And I think that has a lot to do with, in fact, I'm finding out as time goes on that has more to do with, um, like my ventures into circling and, and what my life has turned into more than I realized. Um, and, you know, in, in what I was dealing with, with my parents, right. was like a lot of, um, and this also had a lot to do with, right. Kind of circling and, and, and particular capacities, right. Out of necessity that I, that I developed. I mean, there was a lot of, my dad had a lot of rage um, and, and would get, you know, there was a whole period where he would um, go into, go into blackouts and come home and essentially like, you know, start, you know, beating my mother. And I remember really early on, like kind of sensing, I would, I would, when they would fight, I would sense into, like the point where he would, um, he like things would escalate where I could just tell like he was going to kill her, and I would, I would time when I would cry, right? Because if I cried, it kind of broke up the energy, right? And they would stop, and my mother would come in and comfort me, right? And and then they they go back out and they start fighting again, right? And then I would kind of feel the moment, right, where it would get really dangerous, and I would I would say something or I would cry, and that that kind of you know. And then there was the then there was the whole part of the next morning of like you know being with my mother, right? After all of that, and you know it. it she never told this is this is like in the 1970s early 80s in chicago so like you just didn't talk about that kind of stuff so i was the only one that like knew what was really going on with her right and so there was a kind of like an unhealthy merging that happened between both of us right that really made my relationships with women um really interesting as i grew up <laughs> <laughs> um and I, I think, I think in some, in some ways, you know, cause I mean, we'll talk about this, but circling has a lot to do with like really deeply attuning, right. Into, in, right. Into a moment, into a relationship, into a person. Um, 
and I think I had to just attune into my father's mood, right? And anticipate it and respond to it, right? Out of survival. Because I used to remember, I could tell just by the way he pulled into the driveway what kind of mood he was in, right? And I think in some senses that compensation, right? And that developing that intuitive sense of attunement, right? Had a lot to do actually with my capacity to do that with other people. Um, which I think is actually, this has, yeah, has a lot to do with, um, like, like in, I think in a lot of cases, right. What we end up becoming, um, good at in our lives, right. For many people have to do with these kind of weird, like these, these survival mechanisms, right. And these compensations and strategies and stuff like that. Um, and when we get older, right we can we can we can rather than those being out of the context of fear right oftentimes they we can use those like capacities right from a context of love and they become a real gift i think that's what's happened for me in a big in a big way yeah 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 no doubt um yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to, to look back. It takes some time, you know, to, to, to move through life and then to be able to look back on the, every strife and every trouble that we experience, especially as an innocent little kid and to let that come full circle and see that there's a gift in all of it. You know, yeah. there is something there. There was, there was medicine in it, you know, it's a fucking mind fuck, you know, but it, it, but at the same time, that is how we, it's a lot of our gifts come from that as well. Totally, totally. And then, and I would say like the, you know, and also, I mean, I, I think for a lot of like, a lot of reasons that would have been the case anyways, but also because of my environment where I grew up, I had the hardest time in school. Like I had the hardest time in school. I mean, I have ADHD and, um, and um, uh, I had severe OCD when I was a kid, and uh, I I like had all kinds of learning disabilities, and they would like I was you know carted from school to school right because no one could get me to basically pay attention long enough because um, I was so in my I was so in a fantasy land right my imagination was like definitely the place that I I. I hung out in, right, big time. And so no one actually could get me to really read until I was, I probably didn't start reading until I was like 11. Um, and I had a, uh, fortunately I had, I had um, mainstreamed into a regular school and had a special ed teacher by the name of Mrs. Brutches, um, who was, she was just, I got her right before she, she retired. And she somehow took me in. I don't know how she did this, right? But somehow she she got me to read. She, she I think she figured out how to like basically um, teach me how to read with my right brain or something. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know if that makes sense. But like, I've la- I've later, uh, you know, now I read philosophy and I'm totally into like really heavy duty kind of intellectual stuff. Um, and I, uh, and, and, in teaching people how to circle, right. I would, 
I started in the early days, I started giving them these texts that ended up like were life changing for me. And they're, you know, and, and they receive it in horror. They're like, what the hell are you giving us? Like being in time and like, <laughs> they're like, why are we reading this? Right. When we're, <laughs> I'm like, isn't it obvious? And I think, <laughs> um, I think, I think I, I've come to recognize that that something about like learning how to read late and 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 kind of orienting to reading, I, I think through the right hemisphere of my brain, reading just ended up being something that was a real experience for me. Um, that I don't think I, I it took me a, a while to realize that not everyone like has that experience. Um, but that was a big that was a big part of of my life, right. Is, is coming to learn in the way that I, I can understand to learn. Um, and so that was really, that was super important for, for me. Mrs. Brutches, uh, she kind of basically saved my life, I think. And, and then I would say the other formative thing that was, um, early on the gift, right. In, in some sense, the breaking point for me and also the gift for me, right, was when my parents got sober, um, when I was 12. And, and essentially they, uh, they couldn't, they realized that they couldn't stay sober in Chicago. There were just too many triggers there for them. They had lived there their whole life. And so they decided to move from Chicago to this little ho-dunk town right outside of Sedona, right? Cottonwood, Arizona. Yeah, I know Cottonwood. Yeah, totally. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I lived there for like three years and then I moved to Prescott, right? Graduated high school in Prescott, Arizona. And I remember leaving, leaving Chicago, right? Although I didn't have language for it at the time, right? Leaving Chicago, leaving my grandparents, right? And, and going with these crazy people, right? Cause, cause you know, many sober alcoholics will tell you, you know, the only worst thing that a, a, a wet alcoholic is a, is a newly dry one. <laughs> but my parents, so, so when we moved, I, I actually at like 12 experienced an existential crisis. Like I, I kind of had this, this experience of kind of like the ontological floor just dissolving in some sense. And I, and I would have panic attacks and that's when I kind of started to have OCD things go on with me. Right. And I think, I think what the OCD part was like, was kind of trying to create some kind of cognitive raft, right. And a sea of disorientation. Um, and so that was really intense for me, right. When we first moved to Arizona, and at the same time, my parents really got involved in Alcoholics Anonymous in like 12 step programs. And, and so at 12 years old, right, I started to be exposed to people that were, were in a deeper conversation. And I remember specifically, um, right when we moved to Arizona, uh, walking out on our front porch. And either my parents, either they were, there was, they were actually having an AA meeting or they had a bunch of their new AA friends over and they were just talking. 
But I remember walking outside and tuning into the conversation that they were having. And it was the first conversation that I think I had ever, ever experienced that wasn't about um, gossiping or talking about like, like what you have or don't have or what we should have or what you should do or not do. Right. Um, it was the first time I think I ever experienced a conversation that in some sense presenced what was not in the foreground, but presence, what was in the background. Right. And like people talking about how they felt, right. How they saw things. And I had never experienced anything like that. Um, but I distinctively remember tuning into that conversation and got right away that it was, that it was a different world, right? Whatever was going on in that conversation was a, it was a different cosmos. And I kind of got this sense that whatever it was that they were addressing in that conversation had something to do with this bottom dropping out, like, like anxious feeling in my stomach. Right. And so I just tuned into that conversation and in some sense I, I went in and sat down and I've, I haven't come out since really. Um, and I think, I think that that was my first like initiation into like an explicitly um, an explicitly deeper uh, way of relating to the world um, in a big way. And, and I, I would say that, that that was super, super formative for me, super formative for me. And, and so I kind of grew up in some, in some senses, those were all the people that I wanted to hang out with. Right. Like, I didn't quite, I didn't really connect much with the people at school and, you know, junior high and high school, although I played football and I lifted weights and I did all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, the people that I really connected with were the, were, were my parents' friends. Um, and so I would hang out with them during the weekend. Right. And I would, so, you know, at age 13, I'm like having like deep talks about reality, right. With people, you know, you know, where these people became some of my best friends. And, and I think that there was a certain kind of wonder I had and interest, um, that I think I, I, that was nurtured by my grandfather, that, that I think that people sensed my listening and it, and it evoked the best out of them. And so people would just kind of I had different adults, right, from, you know, in my in my teen years that would just basically kind of take me under their wing and they would just pour themselves into me. Right. Um, and I always thought I always thought that that was I was just super fortunate and lucky to have that, which I still think that. Um, but I've come to realize in the last number of years that that I think I one of the things I wasn't accounting for was that there was a kind of listening that I had that really drew that out in people that I didn't quite totally understand because it, it was just, it was something that was pretty innocent for me. Um, but I would say that like, you know, in, you know, from, from all through my teens, all the way up to, to graduating high school and then going to art school in San Francisco, um, you know, all of that influenced like a deeper, uh, like a deeper, you know, a sense of the deeper 
ground to reality and an interest in that, right? In ways of apprehending that and ways of relating to that, right? From a, from an early age. And so when I moved to San Francisco and started going to art school, I met people that were having an even deeper conversation and they were doing drugs, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> so, so when I moved to, so, so that's when I moved to San Francisco, right? I started to, to realize there was this whole world that I didn't know about, right? Called psychedelics. And, and so in my early twenties is when I started, I like, I, I did mushrooms for the first time and I did LSD and, um, I started meeting people that were just in these kind of wild, like in these wild kind of groups and these different forms of therapy and like, you know, all kinds of transpersonal psychology and all of this stuff. Right. And I had met in, 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 in and through all of that, I, I had come to um, become friends with a man by the name of Jerry Candelaria, who, who, uh, who essentially like he, he had been training to become like a, 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 a landmark forum leader. And he had done all of these kind of programs from an early, you know, like in his early teens. And we had met and he recognized something in me. And we kind of co-recognized each other and, and became really, really good friends. And then um, he took me to my first Burning Man. Uh, well, actually, he didn't take me to my first Burning Man. My first Burning Man, um, I went to right after I moved to, to San Francisco, and I, it was 1995. Um, and I, I didn't realize that I had actually gone to Burning Man before when I, when I went in 1998. <laughs> because <laughs> like, we just went one Sunday I went with my roommates and they, all I know is like we it was dark it was the desert there was crazy music right and then we left um, and when I was when I went back in 1998 I'm like wait a minute I've been here before <laughs> <laughs> but but when, when, when Jerry took me in 1998, um, we ended up having an experience with a group of, a group of friends of ours that I would say was the, was really the first, the first experience of where circling emerged. Um, and it was, it was basically like an experience of, of like a 12 hour experience, um, with this group of friends It started off with like, you know, a couple of people were, had a conflict with each other. And then Jerry and I just really got, we all ended up, we all ended up, and if you go to Burning Man, you'll kind of get, you'll kind of get this, but we ended up way in the middle of the ply, like some, somewhere way out in the distance underneath, like a kind of fractal teepee thing <laughs> sitting in a circle. Right. And Jerry and I just got interested in the conflict and the conversation ended up going really deep and it, it pretty soon, like within minutes left the level of the conflict and it just started to, you know, went around to each person. And we had this experience of, I would say it was kind of like, it was kind of like everyone started to relate to that person in such a way that the deepest, most beautiful, inexhaustible element in, in them got kind of, we, we, we drew it out and we all saw it. 
right? And then we put it back in and then it went to the next person, right? And afterwards, Jerry and I were walking away from that experience, you know, 12 hours later. And Jerry and I in particular, right, noticed it. And, and, and it was something like, it was this, this feeling of like, where we, we pointed back where we were at. We didn't have a word, right, for what we had just experienced. But it was something like, it was something like whatever happened back there was deep and profound in a, in a way, in a way distinct from all the other deep and profound things we were experiencing at the time. And it really caught us and we kind of recognized it and we spontaneously just turned and faced each other and spontaneously just shook on it and committed to it. We had no idea what it meant. We didn't know what we were committing to. <laughs> and out of that handshake, right. Um, circling circling came into being and you know within i would say about eight years um it's it started to it started to happen all around the world um and that ended up i had i had no knowledge at the time i had no idea what that meant that that would basically mean um it would it would that that would define the direction of my life since yeah yeah, it's it's bananas to think of. Uh, I mean, I'm, my mind's all over the place listening. I'm also trying to trying to just listen and not let my mind wander. But there are many similarities. I've been in, going to AA meetings since I was three years old. So I, I have, one of my parents was in, and and um, that too to me was like the moment you talked said that. Like, there's a different conversation happening here. I remember the first time, like asking my mom, I was like, they're talking about like like the worst parts of their their life. They're talking about like whatever rock bottom is for each of them individually. Like you get to sit and listen to that. And that's like for a, a fucking three-year-old's ears, you know, you're, yeah. Yeah. you're hearing, you're hearing everything, you know, waking up naked next to five guys you don't know, whatever that, you know, like, like, you know, those stories go. Um, but that was, that was a differentiator from like, especially with how people in general talk to kids, you know, like, Hey, keep it PG and, and just leave it at a certain level. It was like, there's a, that, that blew the roof off of that for me. You know, like there is, there, there are experiences um, uh, profound and negative, you know, that, that are just in a whole different category of existence that are far beyond my purview right now. But that was a good, it helped me track, you know, kind of my own, my own numbing. I used that as like a cord, you know, when I was, when I was drinking a lot more and things like that in college, I went to school at Arizona state. So we were, we were partying hard and thankfully got introduced to plant medicines, uh, which, which really shifted and allowed me to pull myself out of that. I could see clearly like, oh shit. Uh, yeah, I have been numbing for quite a long time and, and on all those things. But, um, having experienced circling, you know, it's, it is one of those things like the first time you have a, a deep dive with psychedelics or, you know, you do holotropic breath work or you go to the darkness and, and your fucking pineal gland gets lit and you can see everything in the dark, you know, like your, your visionary state. Yeah. Uh, vision quest, no food, no water for four days. However you get there into that altered state, um, there's, a, there's a point of recognition. I feel like, I, oh, I remember this place. Like there's something about it that's familiar. It's not like, it could be way the fuck out there, but there's still a part of it that feels like home. And, and, it, and it's significant in that like every cell of me is alive and awake and attuned to this right now. Like I am fully in it. I'm fully engaged. And I think 
you know, having had so many of those experiences and really track, like, what are the different ways? Can I go to darkness? Can I go to the breath work? How deep can I go in the breath work? How does, you know, how does that differ from ayahuasca versus psilocybin versus MDMA? And uh, that's been a big part of, of my life and a big part of, you know, what we're doing at Fit for Service is trying to find these things and then give that to the people, whatever's legal, you know, like we're not giving them plant medicines, but if we can, we can go deep on the breath, we'll do it. We can go deep in ecstatic dance, we'll do that. Uh, we had our first sweat lodge with a beautiful medicine woman from Ecuador who poured sweat on the land. And like, that's, that's a profound experience, a challenging one. Yeah. When we first got, when I first got to circle with you and Kathy, I was just like, I wanted to, I got, part of me was like in so present and could feel, you know, the, that same gauge getting lit up, like, holy shit, this matters. Holy shit. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. You know? And then, and then that, if the recognition of that also pulls me out of the flow of being in that. So I've kind of oscillate back and forth between holy shit this is a big deal into like just being in the deal yes 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 yeah i totally yeah, but it but it 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 basically for me it it drew up a lot of the same feelings you know like the first time i had ayahuasca i wanted to stand on a mountain and be like this shit exists like holy shit this this exists like wow you know and that's that's exactly how i felt with circling i was like i got to call my wife like this is this is this is incredible yeah, totally. What was the, what, what do you think was about it? Like, like, um, like we had, I know we did those, uh, presence exercises, right? Like being with you, I noticed in the back and forth. Right. And then we did the, we did like, like asking a deepening question and like, what, what was the thing that like, what was the thing where you contacted the real, like what, or how would you describe it? What was it? You yeah. Just, I think, you know, if I had, if I had a mountain of clothes on that I had put on and you could, whatever, you know, protection, uh, um, persona, any of these different masks and things, right. That we kind of have is like a buffer. Hey, this is your lane. This is my lane kind of thing. Every round we went through, we just took off a layer of clothing. You yeah. know, it's like, it's like, like strip, strip communication, you know, <laughs> like we just had to peel off a layer and peel off a layer. And at a certain point I could recognize the deepening and the knee-jerk response from me to be like, oh no, they're going to see me or, oh no, I don't want to go that far. It was, it was palpable. I could be like, I mean, but, but it was acceptable rather. Like I could feel it coming and I just, and it was like, oh, that's okay. That's yeah. okay. We can go deeper. That's okay. It was like walking into the ocean, you know, it was like, I can walk, I can walk in a little deeper. I can walk in a little, little deeper until, you, you know, you're so far in it and there's just like, there's something happening here that is really transcending any, anything. I mean, I was thinking about from a coach's standpoint, we've never offered anything like this. And then for on a personal level, I was like, I don't think I've ever experienced anything like this. Cause even, you know, in a group ceremony in, in ayahuasca, that's still noble silence. I'm still in my lane. I'm in my place and I may connect to somebody else and may even share a vision with somebody else, but I'm still in, in my space, you know, and it's, and it's, and it's that way uh, on MDMA, like a couples therapy thing, like we're going to bounce back and forth on some questioning, but and and it because our hearts are open and because we're trying to get to the truth, there's a a deeper level of communication than than we would experience, you know, in everyday waking consciousness. But what this was accessing sober, I was like, fucking wow. You know, like I just I didn't think that'd be the case. And then what I've loved too is that every time we've had the ability to go through this with you, and then and then recently, you know, with with uh with you and Verveki, where we added a whole different element. Like yeah. the, that to me, I just continues to blow my mind. It was like, again, like, wow. And I remember telling Godzi, I was like, we had this on day one in Montana. 
there's no opener we've ever done. We could have started with breathwork, but it, wouldn't, it still wouldn't hold a candle to what we had just done together. Like we had really gone deep with everyone. Yeah, totally, totally. I think you're like really, I think you're, you're, um, you're pointing to something that, that is, is I found too, which is, is, it's interesting. It's, there's something rare, right, about going deep in relation, right? Because a lot of times relationship, and, it, and I think one of the reasons why like in ayahuasca ceremonies, they have you stay in your own lane, right? There's a certain sense of like, you all do it together, but there's an element of like, this is about you and your experience, right? Like, and, and we're relating would be something like a distraction because it, because oftentimes I think relationships are that for us, right? They're like, they're, they're oftentimes a distraction. And I would say a lot of, in many cases, relationship for us are do nothing but keep going normative, if you will. Right. Um, but I think what we stumbled on was circling, right? Was this this way where it's like we usually think of relationship is is like at the horizontal dimension, right? And usually, what people that we call close to us, um, what that means most of the time, I think for most people, is the people I'm close with are the people in which I share some kind of history with, right? Like. We go through time and like, like we, we go through this together and we share this together and, and, and the relationship in some sense is given by like a, just a shared history. And that's the horizontal dimension, but there's a whole vertical dimension, right? A vertical, a verticality, an upper or a depth dimension that, uh, that I think is a lot more rare. Right. And, and I think I would imagine in some sense, in some sense, like the kind of the psychedelic aspect, I've heard that from a lot of people, right. They're, they're struck by like how psychedelic feeling, right. Uh, as like circling can be, or that kind of space. And I think, I think one of the ways to kind of describe that is because when you start to relate, right. And not just, not just the back and forth, right of the horizontal, but doing that in such a way that it opens up, right. Dimensions that you didn't understand or you didn't know. And circling, I would say is really about, is really about, um, harnessing is about harnessing that capacity for relationship to be not just, um, holding up what's normal. Right. But, but, can be transformative and, and which makes a lot of sense, right? When you think about it, um, especially, especially I, you know, it's funny. I have, I have a 20 year old and I have a two year old. So I'm, so I'm, I'm re-experiencing, um, right now, uh, you know, like a little, a little, a little guy and, and, you know, doing it older, I saw this the first time, but I'm really seeing it much more this time. What degree, to what degree, like, we're, we are relationship all the way down, right? Like, it's funny when you think about, when you think about human beings are really unique this way and that, 
we are, I can't think of anything more helpless and vulnerable than a, than a human infant. I can't think of anything, right. More, more dependent, right. On their, on their caregivers. Right. Um, like, cause the human infant comes out and we can kind of, we can, we can, we can maybe poop and, 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 and suck, but we don't always, but we have no idea what to suck. <laughs> right. Like, everything right um everything for us right is about the relationship and the in in like the and provided by that relationship and i have to say that like watching teague my my two-year-old this past couple of years just really appreciated right to what degree he is swimming in intersubjectivity right like he spends I would say between two and eight hours a day on someone's lap, facing them, doing these kind of like weird, playful, kind of babbling, coordinated back and forth, right? This kind of back and forth thing that's going on, right? With me, with his mom, with his grandparents, right? And he's not going to be able you know, he won't be able to kind of have any kind of self-reflexivity till he's probably like four or five. And, but when, when he's finally being going to be able to say I and know it's him, right. When he reflects back on himself and he's able to like say I, that I is literally provided for, to him through all of these relationships that he's been swimming in right throughout. And, and it's interesting because I, I think I've, um, it's hard to, it's hard to overemphasize, um, how much relationships in our lives are probably the most meaningful things to us. Right. And both, both positively and negatively, right. We're the most we're like, right. We're the most enlightened through like relationships. People can like, people can, can be profoundly positive, have in, like impacts on us, right? Like, like having a mentor or a best friend and like that deeper connection, like can be so forming to us in a positive way. And conversely, right? Like when a relationship goes south, it could be the most harmful to us, the most traumatic, right? Like if I, if, if, uh, you know, if a tree falls, falls down on me and breaks my leg, most likely I'm going to be not happy about that. It's going to hurt like hell, but I'm probably not going to be emotionally traumatized from it. But, but if, but if my friend comes up to me and he makes the same injury with a, like, with, 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 with a hammer to my leg, like I'm going to have the same injury and I'm going to be completely fucked up right? Emotionally and traumatized, right? It's, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to, to, to overemphasize, like, to what degree we are and continue to become ourselves in and through relation. And in fact, I'd say like, I actually heard a study um, the other day. And I thought this was really, really kind of pointed it hones in on this on this on this point where they did this this experiment where they would put people in in isolation 
And after, after being in there for a while, they would ask them questions like, right, who are you? What do you think? What do you feel? Right, where are you headed in your life? All questions that like evoke agency, that you need agency to be able to answer. And what they found is that the longer that people were in isolation, the less that they could answer those questions. It's really interesting to think about that. Because we normally think about like, well, to be agentic is to really, is to be solo, right? Is to know who we are in and of ourselves. But I think this really shows to what degree actually there is no such thing as for us as isolation, right? Or being um, distinguishable from relationships. Like we, we recognize ourselves in the I thou exchange, right? And I think we continue to do so throughout our lives. And I think what circling does is in, you know, all this being said, it's, it's really interesting to me that there hasn't been a practice up until circling it that I can tell that makes, makes the vertical dimension, right. Of, of, of inner subjectivity of relationship, an actual practice. Right. And I think that essentially if you took circling and you just basically boiled it down, right. Um, you, you, it just basically makes the fundamental unit of I thou relation in terms in, in just in like turns it into a series of like metaphorically speaking asanas, right. Or postures, right. Asanas of listening, asanas of attention, asanas of presence, right. Um, that we get together and we go, we, we practice going deeper into these stretches, right. And, and really, really work that muscle, right, and open up in those ways and kind of isolate those capacities. Um, and uh, so, that, so, that you can, so that you can actually uh, have those kinds of conversations and, 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 and relationships with people by choice. Because I think a lot of times we, a lot of times people will have deep connections with, with other people and moments of intimacy that are really profound, but they don't, they, they don't really know how they got there. Right. A lot of times it's like, it, it, it was just fortunate or by chance, but with circling, it's like you really develop the skills and the capacities so that you can do it intentionally. And that's really the, I think that's really the key with it. Yeah, it's, it's a massive key. I thought just, just as you were speaking, I was like, I can probably count on one hand how many really transformative talks I've had, you know, with my wife or with, with, the, with, with my sister, you know, somebody that's been close to me and, and, and been with me for a long time. Still probably only on one hand. And it, and it is, there's a sense of like when it finishes, because the same feelings come up like, holy shit, this is deep. Holy shit, this matters. And it, um. You know, to use Mark Gaffney's language, like you're you're on the inside. Like one of the faces of Eros is being on the inside. Yeah. You're you're we're on the inside. We're that deep when we're, when we're doing circling. And previous conversations, if I had met, if I had found myself on the inside, there was almost just like a, a how did I stumble here? Like yeah. you know, like how did I get here? Yeah. Holy shit, that was something. Yeah. You know, and then and then it's just it's it's not forgotten quickly. Like especially the more transformative it is, the more we hold that memory. But. Mm-hmm time goes on and there's no real recipe to get back. You know, there's no like, 
Yeah. Well, you know, we, you know, maybe we had five grams of mushrooms and at the five hour mark, as it was dissipating, you know, we had a little tobacco and then that opened up a three hour window for the conversation. Let's try that again. Like that's, that's a heavy investment to try to recreate, you know? Right. Right. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's funny because with circling, um, it took, it took, uh, it took me a long time to be able to even begin explicating, right. What had become really implicit in circling. Like I, I'll never forget the, the first time I realized that Jerry and I had no idea that that we knew how we did what we did when we circled was the moment was the, was the, the, the day one of our first um, facilitator training program that we had started. Like we walked out, right. Thinking, well, we'll just teach these people. And like within a few minutes, Jerry and I kind of both because we realized we had no idea how we did what we did when we circled. Right. It was a lot of it was just implicit and, and intuitive, but to try to explicate it, right? Um, so, so we, so for the first number of years, we just sh- circled the shit out of everyone and just hoped for the best. And I'd say, I'd say, in some cases that worked out really well, in other cases that didn't work out so well. <laughs> but, but I would say over about like the five or six year mark, um, I'd been doing it long enough right, to where just watching it over and over and over and over again, um, I started to kind of do what, you know, like what attention does, right, is it notices patterns, right? And so, like, over and over and over again, I just started to see um, some of the underlying logic of the process. And, and, and then seeing it and then being able to put language, just the beginning of putting language on it, when that happened, I was like, okay, now I can, gen- I think I can genuinely teach this. Um, and those early, that early seeing was the beginning of what is, what were to become the seven stages of circling, or I, or you could think of them as stages, or you can think of them as like facets, right. Of a, of a diamond, um, which, which really kind of like circling as a whole, but, but there were like there there's an underlying logic to intimacy. There's an underlying logos to it, right? And with each stage, right, um, is comes with um, you could say invokes and calls forth qualities of being and ver- particular virtues, right? Each stage has its own unique kind of set of um, capacities, right, that that stage really demands for, for it to be done well or, or being able to, 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 to relate in that way. And so our training is we take, you know, we have a year-long training to teach people how to facilitate it, and each, each and it's a series of essentially seven weekends, and we take each stage, and each weekend we dive really deep into those capacities. And then Right. Uh, six weeks later, we take go to the next stage. Right. And then they practice in between all of those things. Right. Um, and it's funny because 
it's 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 such a par- like relationship is such a paradox in this way. Um, and I've I found I found people learning this is has a bunch of paradoxes involved because although there are there are skills right to relationship that you can learn right there's like ways of there's ways of communicating and ways of saying things right and ways of paying attention and all that kind of stuff that that um are skills that you can learn i don't think to my estimation relationship in relating in itself is a skill i think it's a capacity right like in fact, if people learn all of the like the communication skills, but they don't develop the capacity to relate, it just ends up looking really weird and kind of creepy, actually. Um, so, so I've what I've what I've come to realize, like in in you know twenty five years of training people in this, is there is there are these skills that you develop. Um, however when you develop a capacity, now you're talking about um, a developmental process, right? A de- like a personal development process. And so, so much of learning how to circle well, which is learning how to relate well, um, has to do with um, kind of confronting barriers in yourself, right? That, that uh, have you not be able to listen right, as deeply as you would want to listen, right, that, that don't, that, that don't, like, different things that come up that prevent you from really being able to open up to another person's emotions, right, and not, not know where to go with them, right, like, and be able to, like, to really open up and lean into and relate to those, those kinds of things. It's like that, that capacity to do that is, um, the process of learning how to do that is one in one consistent with the process of self-development. It's a process really learning how to circle well is really a, a process of, of, of personal development big time. Yeah, that makes that makes sense as you expand, you know, what is the self? What is the I? You know, and we understand the the relational nature, the interdependent nature of all existence. That makes that makes a world of sense. Even when you were talking about the study. Uh, I was thinking, and uh, maybe I'm just I'm stretching here, but I was thinking during the study, you know, isolation in a cell, solitary confinement is probably isolation, different than isolation in nature. You know, you go on a vision quest, you tie your tobacco prayers ties, but you're surrounded by the outdoors, you know, yeah. for better or worse, sun, you know, rain, snow, animals, they're all there, but you're also connected. You know, you feel that connection, and I bet, I bet their answers would differ if they had spent 30 days in nature with, with where they're at and what their trajectory is in life versus 30 days in solitary confinement, you know? Totally. Yeah, totally. I have a, I have a question for you. Um, how does, how does circling differ from the, the, what you put us through with John Verveke? And yeah. because one of the, there are some similarities to it I want to point to, but one of the ones that really stuck out to me was you talked about setting the table. You know, you're not going to light the fire. You're just going to set it up. And I'd love for you to break that down because in many ways, I think that's what's happening encircling through these seven facets you set the stage and as you go through them something beyond that starts to speak through yeah Yeah, totally yes absolutely yeah it's it's interesting because it's like um 
you know, Bo- Martin Buber talks about this, you know, uh, Martin Buber is a, a, a uh, he kind of made the, 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 the phrase I thou, right. Famous. He was a, he's a, he was kind of a Jewish theologian, um, philosopher, right. I think he did his work, you know, in starting in, in like 1920s and through up and through the fifties and sixties. And he, he talked about, right, that there are existentially, right, we are a relationship, right? And, and he says that we're in one, in one of two relationships. We're either in an I-thou relationship or, or an I-it relationship. And the way he would talk about it is that, like, when we are in an I-it relationship, I'm relating to whatever it is, a table, a chair, a person, um, as a means to my own end, right? So I'm relating to you, right? Um, uh, as a means to something beyond you, right? Right? You're, you are a means to an end. However, when I'm relating to, and as he would say, it's much rare to have an I-thou encounter where I relate to you not as a means to an end, but as an end in yourself, right? And he says that, and he, and he talks about this, that like when you um, relate to another in their own intrinsic legitimacy, their own unique otherness, right? Um, it's, it's, it's kind of like in some sense you're, 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 and what that means, I think, another way of looking at that is how to get at that is like, um, you, for example, you and I could sit across from each other and for a thousand years describe everything that we can describe in our experience and everything in our mind. And we can share everything about us for a thousand years, 2000 years. And we'll never get, we'll never exhaust ourselves, right? We'll never get to the bottom of ourselves, right? We are not at, at the deepest level human beings, right? There isn't a human being that is a thing or a concept or anything that anyone can possess or sum up, right? This is why I think judgment often hurts so bad, right? Because in judgment, I'm kind of summing you up and I'm kind of saying this is all you are and I'm the authority to, to say so, right? There's something about that when we do that, like it, it's just, it, it hurts. And I think it hurts because it's not, it's, it's going against, right, what's actually the case, which is, um, although as a human being, there is this element where, like, like, there are things I say, there are things that you can understand about me, there's, like, my appearance, there's what I think, there's what I feel, right, there's a, a huge element of me that shines forth, right, into eminence, if you will that I can relate to and point to and have thoughts about and define and all that kind of stuff. But there's also, right, an element of um, uh, I shine forth into appearance, but I also, there's also an element that withdraws into the mystery, right? And I would say that, like, when you're in an either relationship, you really are, in some sense, um, in profound relationship with that, with that mystery, right? You're really holding like you are a legitimate other, you are other than me, 
right? And therefore, the appropriate way to behold you, right, um, is an absolute is in your absolute dignity, right? And to directly address you with my words, and to addressly like directly listen to you as a, a legitimate, inexhaustible fount of intelligibility, if you will, right? Um, and it, it's you can kind of hear it. It's got that sense of that like inexhaustible, right? Inexhaustibleness, right? You re- it's really easy to see that in our in our kids, right? Like in little kids, there's we, we can tune right into that. Like little babies around, like the whole room, uh, like within an hour is just going to be around that baby, like sinking in. And we, I think we really feel that kind of sense of like, there is something deeply, deeply mysterious and also um, undefinable, right? At the bottom of our being that, that, that we can just kind of, we can just dissolve into, right? And so, you know, to really kind of relate to you as an I-thou, right? To really listen to you. Um, I think when I really listen to you in that way, I am, I don't think he would say, he, he would say, you're, you're not, you're not, perf- you're not exercising or, or you're not demonstrating a skill, Right? when you deeply listen to another person in that way, you're, 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 you're evoking an inside of a, of a genuine experience, a genuine encounter. Right. Um, and you can comport yourself, right. Um, for an I thou relationship, right. You can, you can, you can situate yourself. You can, you can plant the seeds, you can tend to the garden. Right. But, you ultimately can't grow the garden. The garden just happens, right? By some kind of grace. You can water everything in just the right time, put the right fertilizer in, all that kind of stuff. But when it comes down to it, when the garden grows, it's not something you did, right? You set the conditions of its possibilities, right? But like, there's this element, you can't really say like, I performed the garden, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, in, and in many ways, right, circling and in, in, in dialectic and the dialogos, right, uh, like in dialectic is the thing that we can do. It's like setting the container, setting up the, the positions, performing the, each role. That's all like tending to the garden. But whether or not intimacy happens or dialogos happens, right, is really is not up to us in some sense. It's, it, 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 we are graced with it in some way. It's a, it's an, it's a, it's a, um, it's an experience of, of genuine being, right. That I don't think we could say that like, Oh, I just demonstrated, you know, performing dialogos. Good. No, I demonstrated my ability to be fucking like struck. Right. And, and and um and blown away right by something by something so genuine yeah absolutely yeah when when did the dialectic come along because you had talked about you know the beginning of circling really needing its time to refine and and watching it was the best way through observation that you started to pence out and be able to to feel into what were these steps that are necessary and and um at what point 
did you, cause you, you know, you, you talked about, you know, the books that you were giving out, like, Hey, this will help you, you know, it's self-evident, those kind of things. To me, when I think of the experience of the dialectic and even having Kathy, um, you know, as a partner during that, she said she had always avoided that because the philosophy felt so male, masculine, heavy. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, and then, you know, she's, a, she's, a, does circling with you, you know, she's fucking got it. And then she's kind of always avoided that one piece until she went through it and she was like, holy shit. Right. <laughs> you know, like, like, and I was right there with her. Holy shit. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So D so Dialogo started to happen. Um, so a couple of things uh, to, 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 to go back a little bit. So a big, a big part of uh, when circling first started to happen right at that time for, for reasons that I don't quite totally understand, I got um, completely struck by and obsessed with Martin Heidegger, the, the, um, the German, the German philosopher. And just to, for, for people that know, no philosophy, like they, they kind of, like Heidegger is probably the, the, the most difficult philosopher to read and understand. <laughs> he's just really, he's really, really difficult to understand. And with me and all of my reading disabilities, um, I don't know, I don't know what got into me, but I, uh, a friend of mine had a book um, of, of Martin Heidegger on his, on his table and I ended up just being really struck by something in Heidegger um, and all the continental philosophers and phenomenologists and stuff like that. And, and so in very early on with circling, I would, I would read, so I would read Heidegger and then I go out and circle and then I come back and I go to Barnes and Noble and read Heidegger and drink coffee. And then I go and circle and I go back and forth, right? And it and it didn't dawn on me for about three till three years later the connection between the two. Um, until one day, it just out of the it, I just overheard somebody talk, and I realized kind of the lingo around circling, right? The jargon around circling was very Heideggerian. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> oh. Oh, I see. It snuck in there, right? But how it snuck in there was was that um, you know, in some sense, you know, it, to read Heidegger is very is like reading a koan in some sense, right? Like you don't understand a koan by by grokking the information presented, right? You now you go through something, right? It's it's a it's a wrestling match, right? And you kind of you, you grapple with it and then it's something, something breaks open and you, you like, you, you kind of get it, but it's this kind of thing you undergo in a koan and, and very much the same way. I think my experience with, with Heidegger and a lot of the, the phenomenologists, um, that there was a, there was a way of understanding, right. That was going along these thinking paths, and phenomenology, right, is really like an investigation of of what is most what is most near. What, in fact, what is and oftentimes what is most mysterious to us, right, isn't the thing beyond the horizon. It's the thing concealed in its obviousness, right? It's like like perception, like thinking, right? Like 
Like if you, you know, I know how to think, but if you ask me how I think, this is the first time I realized I have no idea how I think, right? Like, or how I perceive or what perception is, right? These things are, are, I use all the time. Like my whole life is about that, but there's a profound mystery, right? To, um, in depth to these things that when I try to look at them explicitly, I realize I have no idea, right? What's going on with them. And phenomenology is, you could say, is a way of really hearkening to that, like innermost concealed dimension of our experience and teasing it out right into the open. Now, interesting, that kind of starts to sound like intimacy, doesn't it? Like, and I would say that, that, that like, through reading Heidegger and these, and these people was a kind of training in a way of thinking and perceiving a way of thinking and perceiving that when I would like participate in circling, right. It, it helped me evoke, evoke this sense of that. The thing that's important is probably the thing that is, uh, is we're probably looking at right in the, right at the face and we're not seeing it. Right. Like, and just being oriented that way, right, is 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 the realm of intimacy. And so, kind of fast forward. So that's my that's my kind of personal that's my that's my personal um, kind of evocation into philosophy. And so years later, right, um, I think it's I think I've known John for about I think three or four years. Um, I. I basically started a podcast and my, I think my second interview was with John Verveke. And for those of you who don't know, John Verveke is a, uh, he's a, he's a, uh, a, he's head of the cognitive um, science department at university of, of, of Toronto. He's a, he's a, a, a published and renowned uh, professor of, of cognitive science and, um, and philosophy. He's got multiple degrees. He's, he is, John's got a mind that's just like, you can feel the fire in his mind is just unbelievable. Right. Um, I think people are, we're going to look back and, and, and John's going to be, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be seen in the ranks of like Aristotle or Plato. I think he's that, I think he's that profound in what, what he's got a hold of. Um, and he's really open-minded, right? So he just doesn't stay in his academic world, right? He's really open to, especially um, in his work. He, the, the, what he's gotten famous for publicly is um, his work on what he calls the meaning crisis. Um, from John's view, in John's view, we like the world, and and this is this is a two thousand year process, right? Um, uh, we've kind of dropped into a, a profound, like, especially in modernity, a profound loss of meaning, right. With the loss of the viability of religion and all kinds of things. And the like the, the science that, that he's in, in John's view, um, the thing that's most important for human beings is having a sense of meaning, right. In fact, we'll give up, we'll give up our own comfort for meaning, right? Like it, it, we'll, we'll be willing to experience like lots of pain um, if it's meaningful enough to do so, 
right? And yet the structures of meaning, right, in our culture and historically um, have really broken down. And so he did a he did a uh, a fifty um, a fifty lecture uh, series called on YouTube called uh, Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. And so, right, I think he was like in episode twenty five of that when I had my interview with him, and we just hit it off right away. Um, and he had been doing. He had been doing uh, lots of podcast interviews and stuff like that. And, and, and we had a conversation and at the end of it, he was like, I've done a lot of podcast interviews. So this was really, really different. And he's like, what is that difference? Right. And so we kept, we kept, we kept talking. And then what ended up happening is we would get into these just, just incredible dialogues, right? where we experience this kind of profound intimacy that we experience in circling, but with this kind of philosophical depth and kind of spiritual realization in and through it. And we kept experiencing that. And then we were having that with other people and then having, and we, um, then we started having, uh, bringing, you know, more people together and having a four way conversation with, uh, Christopher, Christopher Masa Pietro and, uh, people like Jordan Hall and we would start riffing and have, have the same experience. And along the way in a text, in a text message, I talked about the dialogue we just had. And I said, that was a great dialogue. And, and John said, I think we're, we need to call it dialogos, right? Playing on really explit, like explating the word logos, right? Um, uh, and that, Dia meaning through, so through logos, um, and so you could say that you could say that that we can we can dialogue or have dialectic. We can perform that. We can do that. But at a certain point, right, something catches, right, and when it catches fire, is that moment where um, we're no longer just talking about something. We're no longer just exchanging uh, propositions. Uh, something's caught fire, right? And we're all lifted. And all of a sudden we are saying stuff that we don't, that we didn't know. And we didn't know how we knew, right? Where, where the, the sum is well beyond, right? The, the sum of the parts, right? Does not account for to the degree of insight that's been, that, that starts going on. And you could say that like, we go from, we go from, um, go from talking about the logos to actually speaking it, right? Where we, in some sense, have the experience of where the logos begins to speak through us. Um, and so we started, so John and I and many other people started to recognize this phenomenon and we started putting language around it. Um, and then not long after that, we, uh, we started a course called dot, um, Circling into Dialogos, and I think we've had seven of them so far. Uh, and they're all on Zoom. And what what that course is, is uh, it's, it's, you know, John, John has a notion of what he calls um, an ecology of practices, right? And it's the sense of like, from John's point of view, 
the ecology of practices and in some sense speaks to um, where before religion may be, right? And, and so what we do in the course is there's a series or an ecology of practices that end up into what we call dialectic in the dialogos practice. The first, the first, uh, the first set of practices have to do with mindfulness. Then the second set of practice has to do with um, ph- philosophical contemplation. Um, then we d- go into three hours of circling. Then we go into um, uh, something called philosophical fellowship. And then we end up in the final day, we do two, two rounds of dialog- um, dialect in, dialectic and dialogos. And what we do in dialectic and dialogos and each, so each phase like feeds into the, to the next. And so by the time, by the time we do dialectic and dialogos, right? Like we're kind of grounded in a sense of mindfulness, right? We have a sense of, uh, um, a sense of uh, contemplation where we've contemplated what, like what is, what is ineffable, right? To we've experienced this intimacy together, um, to the philosophical friendship. Uh, And then, so by the time we kind of do the dialect in the dialogos, we are, we are in some sense, we're fully optimized for that encounter. And so just things kind of just explode from there. Um, And uh, dialectic in the dialogos is, is basically where we, where uh, we start with a virtue or where the group of four people, picks a virtue that they want to, that they want to, they want to discuss. And essentially each person goes around and says, they, they have a shot in saying, um, they make a proposal about what that virtue is, right? So courage is da, 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 da. And then you have, you have the, the listener or the, the Socratic midwife who, as you're making the proposal is, is drawing out the fullness, um, of your proposal, Right. And then at the end of that, then, then, then the listener becomes the one who proposes, right? And they usually draw, they, they usually go, go from like, they usually say, what's still mysterious about that proposal or what's missing? And then they kind of step out and they make a proposal. Okay, courage is da-da-da-da, right? And then, then there's a midwife. And you go, you just go around like that in this structured way. And then when it comes back to the beginning, then you just open up into free dialogue, right? And usually that kind of structure, um, kind of create, like in a certain sense, that structure affords a constraint and tension that, that uh, I would say really, really exercises and aligns um, all of the machinery, right? Of transcendence and understanding and insights, right? Um, and, and hones it. So by the time we just start riffing, like it just, it just really explodes and blossoms. Right. In a, in a profound way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's mind blowing. It is how, how profound it is, baby. Perfectly honest. Like we, we did. And I wondered that too, when we went through this in Montana, because we started with circling on day one and then, you know, that was a, a half day, eat some food, go to bed that night, wake up the next morning and we start, right in the dialectic and dialogos. And, and so we had a similar trajectory, maybe not quite as in depth as, as when you guys put people through the exact program. Um, 
but yeah, it felt like we had pulled layers, layers and layers, and we had worked our way into a, a space of intimacy with people, many of which we'd met for the first time, you know? And then from there, with the constraints and with the setting of the table in the exact way, you know, he's like, you don't, you, you don't get to light the fire, but, but it may catch itself on fire. You know, like the garden may grow itself depending on how, how you set this up. And yeah. um, the feelings that I had when I was doing it were just like, wow. And in every seat too, you know, we had, uh, um, they have a vibe and a scribe as well. So the vibe's whole job is just to feel, what is this, what is this drawing in for you? Like, what is the feeling you have from hearing the proposal? What feelings do you have in hearing you know, the questioner draw more out. Like what, how did, how did the whole sense come? And it was really mind blowing for, for my group. Most of us had some visual mm-hmm. explanation in the vibe. Like there was a vision that came through on, on, on the vibe. And I was like, I didn't expect that at all. Especially, you know, <laughs> anytime I get visions when I'm sober, I'm like, that's, that's fucking rad. That's yeah. fucking special. You yeah. know, there's something to that. Yeah. Um, but it was shared. It was shared in our group before in, similar to the psychedelic experience, similar to any, any great deal of when we're, we're right there, you know, like uh, one of the things I love that Gaffney says is, you know, when you're on the inside, you know, at the moment of orgasm or when you're in the wave surfing, you know, like there's never a, what is the point of my existence? Where am I heading in life? Like, there's no questions. There's no questions around the future. There's no questions around how, how good of a job you're doing. Everything makes sense. You understand it because you're on the inside of it. And, in that experience, that's exactly how I felt. It's like the moment of orgasm. It was on a, on a, on a, on a visceral field, you know, different feeling than orgasm, but, but same feeling in that there was a recognition in the power of that practice and a holy shit, we're on the inside. Totally. Yes. Yeah, totally. And you can get there sober, right? Yeah. Just like you're saying, totally. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think what we stumbled upon is really the original it's the original sense of philosophy, right? Of it's not, whereas now most people think about philosophy, they think about academia in papers and, you know, really dry books. But this is the original sense of philosophy where philosophy was, was, a, a, uh, was <laughs> it was a deep way of coupling, right? With the world in a profound way and, and a deep way of being, getting close to the transcendent, right? And the ineffable. Um, and I just have to say, just, I love that. I just love that sense of where you, 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 you start getting really close to what can't be put into words, right? Yet there's this, there's this, there's something, there's something about that very thing that can't be put into words that's drawing forth your attempt to put it into words anyways, right? Like there's this, it's just, a, it's a way, it's a way of getting closer, right? To, to the, to the thing that transcends all of us, right? In, in, in some way, it's, it's so difficult to talk about, right? But, but, but I would say that, I would say that like, I, I, in my estimation, we really live in a world that is deeply, deeply lost most of its its modes of of connecting with genuine transcendence, right? Um, in that way, and this is a way of doing it that that is genuinely experiential, right? It's not just reading about it and somebody tells you that there's this 
thing out there and like you just kind of have to take it on faith or something like that. No, it's about actually grappling with it and finding finding it disclosed to you, right? Finding yourself in the presence of it, right? Where you feel like you're 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 tapped into some receding ground, right? That that is fundamentally ineffable, right? It draws you closer to it and it draws itself closer to you. Yeah, it's just, it's really, I feel super fortunate, right? Um, in my life that I have a couple, I've gotten to, I've gotten to be at the ground, at the ground level of like two essential movements happening, right? To, to feel super, super lucky and super fortunate. Yeah. Well, you carry, carry the mental wealth. The, uh, the, it, yeah, there's, there's, when I think of existential risk and all the things that are going on in the world and, 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 you know, there's a lot of places you can look and be like, oh, what if this happens? You know, for 50 years, people had to hide underneath desks and worried about maybe not 50 years, but for a long time, kids were taught that get under your desk, the nukes are coming. Um, there, there, it seems to be that there's always something we got to fucking worry about. When I was 18, we had Y2K, you know, it's yeah. like, that was a short lived thing. But it was a thing, especially growing up in the in the Silicon Valley. It was yeah. a big thing, um, and I think, you know, there's there's lower hanging fruit for things that we really could worry about if we wanted to worry. Like lower hanging fruit, meaning um, how much of the things that we do are digital. And even right now, like I love you and I fucking know you, and I want to be by you and I want to be in your presence. And that's that's missed. We're still attaining something greater than we would if we didn't know each other and haven't spent you know, yeah. time in each other's field. Yeah. But, but to have that face to face, there's a slight disconnect. There's another layer, right? And, and to think of how much is moving in that direction, that's not nuclear stuff going off, but it is, it is going to contribute to the crisis of meaning, right? Um, video games, all these different things. I grew up playing video games. We got a Nintendo when I was four years old, a regular NES and then Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis, the list goes on, you know, and eventually... I think it was plant medicines kind of snapped me out of that. I was like, Oh, I'm playing a game within the game. You know, like in grand theft auto, yeah. you could go on mini missions that weren't, that didn't have anything. I was like, why do the mini mission? I want right. to play the real, the real game. Right. And then I was like, Oh shit, I've been in the mini mission. This yeah. is not the real game. Right. And so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been in the, I've been in the mini mission for a fucking 15 years right now. So, um, that, that made it very, you know, I just, I just couldn't do it anymore, you know? And, and, um, it's not just to put people down who like video games. They're fucking awesome. But at the same time, it was just like, oh, I've got, I've got, I'm in a better use of my time. And, um, but I think of the, there's a draw to these things. They feel good, right? They get, they get certain aspects of us going, um, that yeah. we can't get in other ways, right? The dopamine response, the addictive nature of it, whatever the thing is, it's enjoyable, right? And, and there's other aspects, you know, like, like social media is enjoyable. There's all these things that are just there, but they're not drawing us to a level of proximity and, and intimacy that circling or the dialectic in the dialogos does, right? And the, to experience that, I was like, man, this is, A, this exists just like ayahuasca. Holy shit, this exists from the top of the mountain. Yes. And, and B, with everything that we see on the horizon of potential pitfalls and, and places where humanity can really find itself in a rut. You know, if we're, if we're here right now, this can go... You know, it's not black and white. It's not going to, it's not like we have two directions or a fork in the road, but getting closer to the meta world, we lose all that. And then getting back into the real game, we gain all that, especially if we have the tools and the technology to get us there. So, I mean, I, I am, 
I'm in love with what you guys are doing. Mm. I mean, I think it, it is so, so special. And it's been such an amazing gift to share with people as a coaching trip for service, but in just, just as much, if not more so, an amazing gift for myself to experience. Yeah. And uh, I love what you guys are doing. I really appreciate you. Um, I'm going to jump on your podcast soon. So we'll do a little swapperino. Yeah, in a couple of weeks. Dive deep. Yeah, brother. Yes. I'm stoked for that. Where can people find you? Listen to your podcast. Uh, I'll link to Verveki's show on, on YouTube so people can get it to him as well. Yeah. So basically, like you could, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, just email me, guysinkstock at gmail.com. Um, if uh, you want to go look at circling, uh, it's circlinginstitute.com. Um, and I'll give, you, I'll give you those links to, to, to put in the show notes as well. Yeah. Perfect. Easy peasy. Circling Institute with the Circling Institute. We have like drop-in events every Thursday night. We have standalone weekends that people that that are open to everybody. Um, and then we have the the practitioner training. Uh, we are the next practitioner training, uh, starts in November. Um, and we're, we're filling up quicker this year than, than most other years. So, um, if you're, if, if that's something that, that interests you, like check it out pretty and, and get a move on it pretty quickly because it's filling up quick. Um, and then if you go on the website, you'll also find when the next di- dialectic in the D logos, um, the cir- circling in the D logos course with, uh, with, with me and John Verveke is all that will be on the website as well. Phenomenal brother. Thank you so much, Guy. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. And and, uh, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Fantastic.